Thank you all for letting me be here. I think I sent a couple of pictures ahead of me of my family. Uh, did, did you get those? I should have asked you before I even embarrassed you. Um, did they come? These are my 13 grandkids. Yeah, thanks. And uh, here's the reason, and then this next picture is the whole clan. My wife on my right, my daughter on her right, my boys, their wives, my daughter, her husband. Um, I try to get them to gather with me once a year to, to do that, and sometimes it's a chore as they get older. The oldest grandchild is 25, the youngest is 10. But let me tell you why I show you this picture. Every day on my mobile phone, at 4.13, an alarm goes off. It just buzzes, and it reminds me to pray for this couple, for this couple being my daughter, for this couple, my son and his wife, and for this couple, my son and his wife, four couples and 13 grandkids. Job said, I pray for my family just in case, just in case my kids curse God in the heart and just don't even know it. If there's one thing our family needs more of today, it's prayer. So at 4.13, every day, I call out their names before God. I can be in the, 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 the most profound meeting. But when that buzzer goes off, I pray for my family. There's another one that goes off, too, at 1.50 p.m. Reminds me to pray for our nation. We're one nation in 50 states. I really earnest, honestly believe that if more people prayed more for our nation and talked less about our nation, God might do something in our nation. And so my children and my family, about 413, buzzers go off all over, and it reminds us. And so I say that to encourage you. Pray for our nation every day. And pray for your families. You figure out a time that works for you. And when it goes off, pray for your family. This has been a challenging season for all of us in one way or the other. Um, to the point that some families have been challenged and some divided over issues that really have no eternal significance. So today I want to just talk to you for our time together about one word, hope. Hope. Weeks ago I began to meditate um, on the cross and the resurrection. I've seen and experienced a lot of things in life, some good, some not so good, but I have found that the good and the bad things in life involve one thing. They all involve people. So let me talk about people. And the people that I'm really referring to are people who, who claim to love Jesus, they're committed to the church, some who, people who tithe, give offerings, people who are leaders in the church, some are married, uh, some have children, some are single, some are old, many are young, some are Republicans, Democrats, some are independent, some are even uh, Tea Party members. People, people, people. What makes the difference are two things. First is how they view and respond to the cross, and then second is how they experience the resurrection and allow the power of Jesus to operate in their lives on a daily basis, the cross. People look at the cross for various reasons. Some it's just a religious symbol. Some it's a piece of jewelry. Others it's an interior decoration. But here are some of the things that we learn from the cross. 
Romans 3.23 says the cross teaches that we are all sinners. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says our sin or rebellion, it separates us from God. Romans 5, 8 says God showed his love towards us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. You see, the, the cross gives us the power to decide how we want to live and where we want to go when we die. It's just a choice. The cross teaches us about love in John 15, 13. Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, no woman than this, no boy than this, no girl than this, than to lay down their life for their friends. And so here's the question. Have you laid down recently your life for a friend? And even to the degree of just keeping your mouth closed. Years ago, I had a meeting and I called my dad, greatest storyteller that I've ever met. And I said, Daddy, I have a meeting tomorrow. Uh, I got a meeting with a guy. He's upset because I hired this lady to be the vice president of this organization. He's upset because she's Hispanic. He happens to be white. And I want to make sure that I don't say something I'll regret. And my father said, then, son, I'm going to pray that the Lord makes your words soft and tender. And I said, why, why do you want my words to be soft and tender? He says, you might have to eat them. Now, now we, were, we were raised poor. The next time your pastor says he was raised poor, just tell him, not really. You know, we had a conversation this weekend, and as we were riding over here this, this morning, I said, you have found out that you were not raised poor, but I was, right? You know, we laughed about it. So my daddy said, remember the fish we used to go out and catch? I said, yes, sir. He said, remember how we'd bring them home, and uh, we would scale them, or we would skin them, depending on the texture? I said, yes, sir. And your grandmother would put them in cornmeal or flour or whatever, and she'd put them in that hot grease? I said, yes, sir. And my father said, just think of how many of those fish would have never ended up in that hot grease if they just kept their mouth shut. <laughs> you have no idea how many times I'm in a discussion and I'm getting ready to say what I shouldn't say and I hear this sizzling noise in my ear. <laughs> Laying down our lives for our friends could also mean when I first began to pastor years ago, a gentleman named Bill met me at the back door as he was leaving. He looks at me and he goes, I don't agree with what you just said. <laughs> my first response I wanted to say and who died made you God I didn't say that I just said so what do you believe and he told me I said well probably ought to live what you believe I'm going to live what I believe and I just walked off a few weeks later I, he came back again he says you really messed me up I says how did I mess you up well a few weeks ago and he reminded me of our conversation I said let me ask you a question if I had started a discussion with you that day and it turned into a, uh, uh, what, what would it have turned into? He said, probably an argument. I said, okay. Would I have changed your mind? He says, no. Would you be here today? He says, probably not. I said, so let me ask you this question again. What do you believe? And he told me. I said, okay. I'm going to live what I believe. You probably live what you believe. And I walked off again. Now, most people don't understand this. And Bill and I are good friends today. He's part of my prayer team, been a part of my prayer team for years. Comes to our home once a quarter with another group of people and we pray together. We have buried our parents together. We have vacationed together. We have traveled on mission trips together. Why? Because I would not engage him in a debate. And most people don't really understand. You know, 
you can talk to somebody and disagree with everything they say and never say a word. And when you walk away, just go, you made me think. And then when you get in a position where they can't see you or can't hear you, you can always say, man, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> but too many people, they want to debate. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. All the doors waiting on the turn to say something. And all it's going to do is separate. I have more friends today. I won't engage them in, in debate. I don't care what it is. I'm, I'm a voice. And the only person I'm realizing as I get older that I maybe can change a little bit is moi. Everybody else, it's up to them. Lay down your life for a friend. And sometimes all it means is just don't say anything. Just don't say anything. You'd be amazed at how much unity you would have within yourself if you just kept your mouth closed. The cross teaches that. If you really love somebody, sometimes you'll lay your life down for them. Our nation today is in a lot of trouble because people just don't know how to lay their life down for somebody else. It's important for them to voice their opinion. Really? Really? The cross teaches us that about the drawing power of Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says in John 12, 32, and if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men and women unto myself. How? Through us. There's no way, there's no other way people can see the cross. And there's no other way people can see Jesus except through us. I came to Jesus at 19 years of age because of the love my father had for me. His, his wayward, rebellious son. And I've told people all over the world, he did not try to scare, beat, or preach the hell out of me. He loved it out of me. And there came a point in my life where I realized if this is the love of God, then why am I running from it when I should be running to him? A few years ago, Mel Gibson, he directed a movie titled The Passion of Christ. Jim DeVizio played the role of Jesus. And the movie portrays, and many of you have seen it, the last horrific days of Jesus' life. But it stops short of the greatest thing about Jesus' life, and that is the resurrection. If there's no resurrection, we have no hope. The resurrection of Jesus, it gives us a tremendous hope. It brings, being forgiven of our sins before God gives Christ's followers tremendous peace with God, with ourselves, and of course with others. Christians are changed from being an, an enemy of God bound for hell to becoming a forgiven son or daughter of God with an eternal inheritance in heaven that the Bible says it can never be taken away. What better news than that? Take 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. A few years ago, I took a team with me to Brazil. And one of the men that travels with me on many of these trips, he's a personal friend. He's given me permission to tell the story. When I travel overseas, I enjoy taking somebody with me who is not a Christ follower. I have a friend I took with me one time, he, he's a Muslim. He says, well, how come I asked him to go with me over lunch one day and he didn't come to our church, but his family did and he would come when they were in a production or something. And he says, why didn't you ask me to come? Why do you want me to go? What about some of the other people in the church? 
And I looked at him and I smiled and I looked around, make sure no one else was in the restaurant. And I looked at him and I said, man, I don't like all those people. I said, I like you. I like you. And he traveled with me to many different places. I just loved him. See, I think I'm a pretty good representation of who Jesus is. I'm not going to embarrass Jesus because I promised my dad when he was alive and after he died, I'd never embarrass him again. And so I have this friend who travels with me. He's gone with me to China, Africa, Cuba, and as I said, Brazil. He's a retired prison warden of a California state prison. He has a son who was recently uh, released from prison within the last few weeks after spending over a decade in prison. And he has another son who's homeless on the streets in our city with mental illness. So when you travel with me, and I have these non-believers who travel with me, I don't look at the group and say, when we have our, quote, devotions, it's not even called devotions, it's kind of a gathering time, or something other than with a religious connotation, because if I put a religious tag on it, then I've got to explain it to those friends of mine who are not, quote, religious. So I tell him, tomorrow I'm going to interview you. I know you, most of the people don't know you, and we're just going to have an interview. I say, ah, we'll do it every morning, and so just kind of like an interview. I'm just going to ask you a few questions, and I will say something like this. I won't say, so what has the Lord spoken to you since you've been in Brazil? Because he would have looked at me and said, what the blank does that mean? But I'll say something like this. What has Brazil said to you? So we started talking, and at one point I said, why do you travel with me? And he looks at me, water wells up in his eyes, and he says, you give me hope. You give me hope. One son here, one son here. You give me hope. And as he said those words, I thought about the body of Christ. Every one of you sitting in this room right now, you give somebody hope. You just don't know who. You don't know who sat in a restaurant here in your community last night. Young lady came up, had a beautiful haircut. And I said, man, that's a very nice haircut. And she says, yeah, I, I do it. I do it at home. I've bought this kit from one, some store. And then she says, it's easier to do when I'm at home after I've been drinking a lot. And I said to myself, what pain is that young girl carrying around that makes her get drunk to shave all her beautiful hair? And I said, she needs some hope. You see, in other words, hope is to feel something desired may happen. This is the gospel, my friends. It again, my friend saw it again when he went with me to Africa and I took some college students and he went with me and, he, and every morning they'd get up and have devotions. He says, what are those, what are they doing? I said, what do you mean? He says, every morning they get up and they take their Bibles and a notepad and they go out and they sit different places. What? He says, what are they doing? And you're not even making them do that. I said, well, that's their way of getting and staying close to God. Really? I said, yeah, I think they call it, uh, I think they call it devotions. They do it every morning. I said, well, you see what they're doing. And all he did was watch. He made a comment. He said, this is probably as close as I'll ever get to having a travel experience like this with my sons. But it wasn't. Because his son, who was doing 37 years of life, is now out. And now he has an opportunity to travel with me again. And at some point, maybe his son can join us because he had hope and he trusted in the hope that he believed in. It just happened to be embodied in a person. 
His life was encouraged by others. Your life gives hope to other people. Your marriage, how you rear your children, how you treat your friends, your, how you date, you know, how you love your wayward children, opening the door for your wife. When I was in college, I lived across the street from a guy, we'll call him Mike, and he was, he was a certified racist. And I remember saying to God one day, if I were you and you were me, I wouldn't have put you living across the street from him. But one day he, he comes over and he looks at me. He was a big dude. He was a biker. And he says, you know what? I, I believe you're a Christian. I said, really? Why is that? He goes, I, I see you on Sundays when you and your family go to church. You always open the door for your wife. Now, what the heck does that have to do with being a Christian? To you and I, nothing. But to a guy that goes out on the weekend to turn out bars and doesn't care anything about anybody, somehow or another, it spoke to him that I was a Christian. You know, when I go back to my friend, I told you he was a warden. What I have not told you is that he was the warden of the prison that I was in when I was a young man. He came years after I left. I became the president of a nonprofit and we became friends. I went to prison when I was 17 years old. I had a five-year minimum and a lifetime. My dad had raised us in church, but him and mom had a divorce, and instead of talking through my pain, I acted it out. And I'll tell you what, my dad was a good man. Every night he'd make my brothers and I, there was six of us, he kept all six kids. Daddy would make us, he'd come in the room and we'd be asleep sometime and say, you boys pray for your mother? No, sir, get up and pray for your mother. We had to get up on our knee, get out on our knees on that cold linoleum, and one of us would lead the prayer and the other three would follow and we'd pray for our mother every night and I hated it. I literally hated it. I hated praying for a woman who I perceived as causing my father pain. I get out of the institution, I go to college, graduate school, earn a doctorate degree, and I'm in a counseling session one day because my wife said, you need to change. You got a lot of anger inside you. Ah, you know what, that's just who I am. Uh-huh, but I ain't living around all that anger. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I woke up one morning and she's a woman of her word. She was gone with our kids. Hmm. So I went and asked her, told her if you come back, I'll, I'll, she thinks you think I need, I'll go talk to a counselor. So I did. And he said, you know, you probably ought to deal with that anger inside of you. I said, what anger? So we talked about that. And he said, you might want to have a conversation with your mother. About what? Now, I didn't hate her. I just didn't love her. So one day I called her. I said, I'm going to come down and see you. She says, I said, I want to talk to you. She said, about what? I said, well, about what? Because she had been told off by every one of her children. So driving the two hours to my mama's house, I cried and I kept thinking, how could you leave your kids? How could you? And I, I had questions from the time I was eight years old, which is when she left. My older brother was nine and everybody else was underneath. My grandmother eventually moved in to help my father raise us. And when I got to her house, I stood at her door. She opened up the door. She knew something was wrong. You know, you moms have perception that most people don't have. And she knew something was wrong. So she didn't open the screen door to let me in. And I just looked at her on the other side of the screen door. And I said, Mama? She said, yeah, baby. I said, Mama? She said, yeah. I said, I, uh. And I looked at her. Now watch this. 
And all of a sudden, all of those years that my father made us pray for my mother, it all came back. So you can't hate a person all your life who you pray for every night. And when I would ask daddy what happened, he said, what'd your mama say? We would tell him what she said, and he says, that must be what happened. She was there. And I asked him again. He said the same thing. When I asked him the third time, he went like this. Now, I don't know about your family or your culture, but in my family, when they do this, the, the older folk, that means shut up, because if you don't, the hand comes down, and you ain't going to like it. And I saw my grandfather do that to some cousins. So when my dad went like this, I just kind of took three or four steps back, just in case. He looked at me, he said, boy, he says, you're not going to get me to say anything negative about your mama. What your mama said happened, happened. And I looked, all of this is gone. And look at my dad, my mother. And I said, these words start coming out of my mouth as the tears are dripping from my eyes. Because now I'm her son who's a youth pastor and who loves Jesus and all the rest. And I, these, I hear these words come out of my lips. Mama, will you forgive me? And she says, of what? I said, I should have been a better son. And I just started bawling. Made your grandmother way too young. I had you come in the places to visit me that no mom should have to come visit her. And I just started crying. All of a sudden, the screen door opens up. She reaches out and she hugged me. And I was standing there like this crying. My dad could hug me. My dad could kiss me on the cheek. He could hold me in his arms for as long as he could. Because he was my dad and he was, but I went like this. I ended up going in the house, we ended up talking and I left with a new understanding of what really happened and possibly maybe why my father didn't talk about it. The most ironic thing is, is when my father passed away, all of this that I'm telling you is, is, has nothing to do with my notes and I promised I wouldn't even talk about this. My father was dying. He looked at me in the hospital a few months before he passed away. And he says, you know what I really want, don't you? I says, no, Dad, I don't. He goes, yeah, you really do. And we had become so close. He said, I want your mother to forgive me. And I just kind of went in my mind of what? You raised us. You were there. You worked two jobs for 10 years. I'm, all this is going through my head. And he just laid in the bed and looked at me. I said, and I left. And I called my mother. I said, Mom, I need you to do me a favor. She said, what's that? I said, I need you to go see my dad. Both of them had been remarried. Still lived in the same little town. She said, what's wrong? Is he dying or something? I said, ah, he just wants to talk to you. I said, if somebody is there, I want you to wait till they leave. I'm saying, I want you to know two things. Number one, I don't know what he wants to talk to you about. And number two, I never want to know. And once you talk to him, just call me and say, we'll talk. Okay, baby, I'll do it. And she went. And she called me. And she said, we're good. And she's never told me what they talked about. And daddy's been gone about 11 years. Mama's, she's still with us. But my father is the greatest example of hope that I've ever run into. I watched him in a little town we grew up in, about 3,000 people, we were one of them, about eight black families. I watched how my dad dealt with racism. I watched how my dad dealt with every, I just, I had a first, a front row seat in his class on human relations 
and I didn't know it. I had a first class, first row, front row seat in my daddy's life to see what a real Christian is like. How you treat people who mistreat you. How you love a wife from a distance who no longer wants anything to do with you. I watched him cry when we would pray in our home, in our living room on Sunday mornings before he took us to church. And we all knew that he was crying because he missed our mama. You see, we're all our, our world and our families, they need hope. Your life has the power to give that hope. See, your opinions, they don't matter. Your political viewpoints, they don't matter. Your culture, your gender, none, none of that stuff matters. My friend that I, that I was telling you about, he's drawn to something that he sees in me and the people that are around me. You see, people are drawn to Jesus through us as we lift up the cross and live out the power of the resurrection in our daily lives. When we embrace the cross, it means we are dying to ourself. First church I was on staff on was a predominantly white church. And a lady called one day and she says, you know, you sound black. And I said, you know why? She says, no, why? I said, I said cause I is. <laughs> she says, well, you know, I used to go to that church. She said, but I couldn't, I, I, I had to quit. First she asked me, how could I go to a church that, and, and, and with all the white people and I was black? And I said, you know, I, I guess I learned when I gave my life to Jesus that I don't have options. That the only option I have is to obey him. That my opinion didn't really matter to him. Well, I, I used to go there, but I just couldn't agree with everything the preacher said. I said, I don't agree with everything the preacher says. We're talking about dying to yourself. She said, well, how can you go to a church where you don't agree with everything the preacher says? I said, ma'am, I don't agree with everything that come out of my own lips, but I don't leave me. <laughs> See, I've come to Minnesota today to remind all of us of the missing element in our world today, it's the power of living a life that is really committed to Jesus and it gives other people hope. This is not about you. This is not about me. He didn't save you so that you could just be a wonderful person, but he saved you so you can tell somebody else so that maybe they could be a wonderful person. We have an opportunity to show the world who our father really is. According to Matthew 5, 9, it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they are the children of God. I got off an email of Facebook months ago, and now I'm posting a picture to all I ever did was post pictures because I got tired of reading what other people were saying. I'm going, my God, do they know how divisive their words are? And I couldn't, I, I didn't want to deal with it, so I just, and I wanted to go to some of their houses and knock on the door, and when they came to the door, I said, I need you to repeat after me, dear Lord Jesus. <laughs> Forgive me of my sins and and then I wanted to tell him, I know who your daddy is. What do you mean you know who my daddy is? Of course you know my daddy. No, I know who your spiritual daddy is. Because the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, and you are everything but that. My friend that I told you about, I know we never talk politics, but I know what animal he rides. We don't talk about Spiritual things, but I'm there to answer his questions, which always lead to something spiritual. I am not an argumentative person. I am a peacemaker because the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. I am one blessed man. If you ever see anything I post on Facebook, which are normally pictures of those people that I just showed you, it ends by saying, 
I have been reminded again that hashtag, I am a blessed man. I'm blessed because of my family. I'm blessed because I'm a peacemaker. I'm blessed because I really love Jesus. No, I really do. I really love Jesus and I want everybody to know him. And I've watched how my daddy told his friends about Jesus by the life that he lived in front of them. It wasn't his words. It was the life this single man lived in this community raising six kids without a wife. And he had everybody's attention in town. See, my prayer is that the resurrected spirit of Jesus and the power of that resurrection through his word, the Bible will give us the wisdom that we need. We have knowledge, but he'll give us the wisdom and wisdom is simply what you do with that knowledge that we need to draw people to the only one who can give them what they ultimately are looking for. And that is a living hope to help them through every day, every challenging day. My prayer is that we will be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen, and learn to ask really good questions. And in doing so, may God allow us to give hope to other people. God bless.